was asked by the people here at the, at the radio to uh, have a, a talk with you. I This is the first time I'm, I'm meeting you, so uh, it's nice making your acquaintance. Hi. Okay. Your first time in Romania? Uh, it's my second time in second Romania. Time. Yeah, yeah. I um, I can't remember exactly how long ago, but a, f a number of years ago I came and I did a lecture at the philosophy department at uh, Western University in Tamishwara and I, okay. I stayed here at the at the church that I'm staying at and um, then people drove me and I went to a Bible college somewhere in um, uh, down south uh, in uh, Transylvania and then I ended up in Montenegro oh okay so um, yeah so yeah. I did this sort of <laughs> <laughs> a few years ago but uh, yeah so would you would you call yourself more of a philosopher? Yeah, my a... my academic background is in philosophy. Uh, so I've, I I did um, my undergraduate. And I went on and did two further degrees in philosophy. Um, so I've got a, a master of philosophy, um, two years of research degree. Um, but now I've, I I um, would say I'm a Christian apologist. Uh, I come at it from a philosophical angle, but yeah, I've, I've written stuff on sort of New Testament historicity, biblical archaeology, um, all of those kind of good things. But uh, yeah, philosophy is my my main sort of academic background. Okay, so yeah. how how useful do you find the uh, encounter? How effective, mm. rather, the encounter between Christian philosophy and the new wave of atheism that is mm. is rising across, at least across Western Europe. Yeah, it's very hard to quantify, of course, without sort of doing quantifiable research on a topic like that. But I certainly know of people who have been very influenced by New Atheist thinkers and have then, uh, for example, I've, I've got a friend in the UK who uh, at university was very influenced by reading Christopher Hitchens uh, and Richard Dawkins and then made the mistake of taking Dawkins seriously when <laughs> Dawkins says... Uh, the, the thing is you've got to pay attention to, to the evidence and sort of pursue the truth. Uh, and so he, he started doing that and started thinking, well, what, well, you know, what's the other side saying about this? And going on the internet and finding these debates between Christian philosophers and the new atheists, like um, the American Christian philosopher William Lane Craig uh, has debated uh, some of the new atheists or, okay. um, and so on, and, and started gradually thinking, actually, these Christian philosophers are making some good points and gradually uh, came to the position that he himself became a, a Christian. <laughs> so, um, you know, it, it certainly does happen. <laughs> uh, how would you describe the so-called, and I'm using the expression so-called, not that it isn't, but it's named yeah. new atheism. What, what is that? If somebody asks you, what's new atheism and what makes it different from Regular, or Regular old. right? Atheism, atheism, yeah. I think there's there's three key parts to it. So uh, they're atheists. Um, so they don't believe that there's a god. <laughs> they, uh, like many atheists in our culture, they are materialists or naturalists. That's their understanding of what exists. It's just nature. Their understanding of how we know about things. Uh, is that we know things through science, full stop, we only know things through science, so they, oh, okay. that's a position called scientism, uh, scientism about knowledge, and, and then a, a moral crusade against the evils of religion. 
and the the key evil of religion as they understand it is that uh, they they think that to have a religious faith is automatically the same thing as having a blind faith okay. so they say you know e even the most sort of liberal um, socially minded church of england vicar uh, hosting the uh, the village fete dishing out cups of tea to to people uh, you know, completely inoffensive kind of religion you might think but they say no he, he is encouraging the idea that you can just have blind faith in things that you don't need to live up to any sort of intellectual standards uh, when you engage in religion mm -hmm. and that is a bad thing uh, and that's a bad thing that opens up people to being radicalized and becoming you know suicide bombers and and, and yeah. so on and it's simply not true and that right that's no that's not true because faith is not necessary to have blind faith the very fact that we have to qualify what we mean by faith by saying oh blind faith uh, should indicate as indeed looking up in most dictionaries would indicate to people that that faith has a wide range of meanings uh, and that uh, biblically speaking as well if you look into the biblical usage and language uh, of the terms that underlie where we get the terms faith from in the in the hebrew and in the yeah. greek it, it basically the central meaning is is trust or allegiance it doesn't say anything one way or the other about how sensible or rational that trust or allegiance is that's a sort of separate question as it were but the the, the central christian tradition has has always been that that trust in god that trust in christ is is a reasonable trust absolutely but still we need to i, I think we, we need to come to terms with the fact that there are things that god uh requires from us to take as true things as the, the, the prerequisites of, of the intellectual faith that he states like in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I mean that is something that we need to uh, really, uh, it's, it's like in, in the math field where they say you know mm. like a straight line is infinite at both ends. You cannot verify that, you cannot uh, check that because you cannot travel infinitely either to your left or to your right, but that is the, the foundation of the rest of your mathematical uh, equations and uh, and calculus. So, is it true, and is that a good thing? Starting with the prerequisites mm. or with the uh, uh, statements that God makes without necessarily arguing them to us or explaining them to us? Is it a good thing for? Uh, is that blind faith, or does that lead to intellectual faith? Right. Even even those kind of issues. Um might not necessarily be, be blind faith because one might have good reasons to trust things that you have good reason to think that God has told you even where you're not able to independently check the truth of those things. Uh, so you could have good reasons say to think that the the Bible uh, is a revelation from God and that therefore uh, if you uh, think that the best interpretation of what the Bible is saying is is X even where X is something that you can't independently check you that you don't have to have an independent reason for believing in something for your belief in it to be reasonable I mean if that were the case and often new atheists will say you know you you, you need to have independent evidence in order to believe something reasonably but that, that just can't be true because then you'd have to have independent evidence for the for the truth and believability of the independent evidence and independent evidence for the truth and believability <laughs> of the independent evidence for the independent and, and so on you get into an yeah. infinite regress yeah, uh, as you as you say um, 
actually on, on the particular is issue that you raise about you know God creating and so on I, I think actually there are very good um, philosophical uh, arguments for thinking that there has to be some kind of of divine creator uh, of, of the world uh, and that that is something that we can independently check and there's um, uh, th been a long history of debate within Christian theology uh, uh, over you know are there uh, um, such matters and you know Thomas Aquinas famously thought that um, you could you could uh, give philosophical arguments for belief in God uh, but that we only knew that God was a trinity through trusting God's revelation although of course he would have said we have good reasons for believing that that revelation um, but there have been other theologians and philosophers who have thought that actually there are some there are some pretty interesting philosophical pointers to thinking that uh, that the greatest possible being that's what we mean by God, mm -hmm. uh, must be uh, Trinitarian uh, in nature uh, and that God must contain a, a plurality within himself uh, in order to be, um, uh, um, to not need or depend upon creation in order to exhibit uh, the, the good qualities of love and relationship, for example. To exhibit them in, within, within himself. himself. So, um, if you know God is the greatest possible being, and uh, you know love is a really good thing, you know a, 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 a holy unitary or singular uh, uh, deity in terms of personality would only be able to exhibit the, the the good quality of loving himself, but he couldn't love another unless there's another. But if you say that other it has to be another that's created by God, that makes God dependent upon creation. Uh, whereas if you say that there, there is within God's own nature a plurality of persons, God can exhibit this great quality of loving another without depending, making God dependent upon creation. And then that's a philosophical reason for thinking there's plurality within God. Uh, quite apart from the reasons that we have from Revelation uh, to think that there's plurality within God. So these, yeah. these are the kind of issues that, that theologians and philosophers uh, debate about. Yeah. Would you say that this diversity of approaches within the um, Christian theology and mm. debate of thinking over, like, let's see, the last 2000 years of Christian thinking yeah. is, is, is making Christianity's point weaker or stronger? Is making mm. Christianity a weaker position mm. for uh, for a, li a life system, for being mm, a, mm. A, a viable life system, or does it make it a, a more believable uh, system that people can embrace? The yeah, for, for me I think it makes it, it, it more believable. I think there's a temptation to want God to have kind of given us all of the answers on a platter. Uh, in an in a easily understandable form and just to say, okay, these are the answers to all of the questions, take it or leave it. Um, <laughs> I think any any system that, that tried to do that, that, my suspicion would be that it is man-made, that it's giving overly simplistic answers to things in terms that we can readily grasp and understand and just settles all of the questions. Uh, and it seems to me that life's not set up like that you know we we uh, we in the west all believe that there is a material world uh, out there and we try and understand that material world through various intellectual disciplines including uh, science and sciences and scientists have come up with different theories 
about how the world works and they've uh, made progress over time in, in refining those theories and sometimes a theory gets overturned and, and replaced or refined uh, as new new ways of thinking about it are thought of or new data comes into the picture as we discover more and so on and I think it's like that in, in theology. All, all Christians of course agree about certain uh, certain uh, theological sort of minima, certain data that we're all uh, uh, gathered around, as it were, the data about uh, Jesus and his life and, and death and, and uh, the, the, the claims in the New Testament that people met him after he was dead and so on. And mm -hmm. even atheist scholars of, of history in the New Testament and so on will say, yes, you know, historically we know there was a Jesus and he was crucified and we know that people believed that they met him after he was dead and came to believe in the resurrection even though that was a very countercultural idea at, at the time. The debate centres around what's the best interpretation of that data, you know. Did they really meet him as they claimed or were they hallucinating, say, or some other, can we come up with some sort of naturalistic explanation but for it? But they're not questioning their belief. They're not the questioning fact they the, the, the fact that they, the disciples, believed it is, is clear. Um, they were clearly sincere about that belief because they went to their deaths for it. <laughs> you know, they didn't, rec um, people tend not to do that for things that they, they know that they're making up. Uh, and so, so uh, there's a, a certain data and then the, the discussion is how do we interpret it and it's like that within Christianity. We, we, we have key data that we, we have in common but it seems to me that God's left us, left us the intellectual task of wrestling with that and engaging in community with one another uh, to try and have a loving uh, intellectual disagreement and exploration of those facts and to refine our understanding of of God and what he's doing uh, through uh, that intellectual discussion uh, within and without the, the Christian uh, the, the tradition. I find that very, very fascinating that we, we discover that thing encouraged by the Bible itself. The Bible itself right. tells us that uh, people have seen things differently in, even within the, the, the church of the first century, you see even Paul and Peter having their disagreements on things right. while they were refining the, yeah, the, yeah. their position. And uh, uh, I mean, Paul separates ways with uh, co-workers he loves mm -hmm. because uh, a difference of, uh, of opinion over a certain person like yeah. Mark. Yeah. Okay, so you, you would probably say at, at a first glance that this is weakening our position. So many people try to like mm -hmm. strengthening that, strengthen that with like very firm laws that will make up the, 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 yeah. the in, in their opinion. And God yeah. comes in and says, look, wrestling with this is just, is yeah. just yeah. not bad. Yeah. You need to do that. I think because that is helping us. Does that help us develop, improve our thinking? Right, it, 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 it engages our, our, our thinking, it makes us take ownership over our thinking and our thinking is part of our spirituality and discipleship. Um, I love that. Uh, so I would say uh, a spirituality, a way of life, uh, uh, everyone has uh, a spirituality, uh, Christianity is offering a Christ-centred spirituality. Uh, so a uh, spirituality tries to combine, uh, if you like, our heads and our hearts and our, and our hands. Um, uh, and different spiritualities cash those out in, in different, slightly different ways. Christian spirituality, Christ says, I should be the sentinel, I am the gate, I am the way, the truth and the life. Um, 
but Christ's answer to the the lawyer's question about you know, the greatest commandment, where Jesus says, "Well, you know, uh, it is to love the Lord your God with all of your mind and all of your heart and all of your strength." He's talking about you know having a God-centered spirituality, and indeed Christ then said, "Actually, and I should be at the center of that God-centered spirituality." Um, so, uh, and our thinking is just as important as our our hearts, our our commitments, or or feelings about God, or our commitments to doing things, or our hands what we actually do as a consequence uh, of the combination of our head and our hearts but also you know Christ said you love God with all of your your mind your worldview your thinking uh, what you meditate upon and Paul uh, saying you know what whatsoever things are true are noble are worthy of respect meditate upon these things so yeah let's try and bring our discussion towards the uh the context of the 21st century, mm. our time, Western world. Uh, some people would call it a, and I, I, w- I would very much like to hear your opinion about it, would call it a post-Christian mm. era, definitely post-truth, some would say, mm. and that would be mm. a big issue that I would like you to tackle. Like, are we really in a post-truth? Are people not looking for the truth anymore mm. uh, era? And, and let's talk about how relevant that struggle mm. is uh, within the life. I know I'm throwing a lot of things at you right now, okay. but I'm sure you can handle how, how relevant that is for, for a generation that's struggling with, with, uh, uh, with deep life questions and sometimes settles for cheap answers mm. that mm. the society offers, like a better living, a better car, better job, more money, yeah. uh, I don't know, better quality of life, yeah, yeah. because those answers come pre-packed. Mm. They have a, a an immediate impact in the, uh, at least short-lived impact in the lives of the people. Yeah. And what's valuable in that, what can we take as Christian supporters of of a Christian, yeah. a Christ-centered spirituality to yeah, coach yeah. and and help them embrace that? Of course, our, our individual spiritualities are, are hugely I- impacted and informed and shaped by the cultural spirituality around us. Spiritualities okay. are, are both individual things, but also corporate things, group things. So, you know, have an individual Christian spirituality, but also the spirituality of, of being church, being the people of, of God. Uh, the way in which uh, the fact that we have Christian fellowship uh, supports and shapes our expression of how we follow Jesus. Of course, we know that has a huge impact on us, and it's the same in culture at large. And I think, yes, um, we have moved over the last few hundred years from a very uh, Christ-centric, theistic, uh, cultural worldview sort of dominance uh, it through uh, to an, uh, an era where we're now living with a sort of uh, modernist and postmodernist uh, spiritualities, cultures living alongside one another. There's really these sort of three cultures uh, uh, rubbing shoulders together. This sort of pre-modern Christian spirituality, which now is uh, a minority in a lot of uh, Western countries, anyway, not globally speaking, but in in our part of the world. A minority, uh, and then uh, a secular culture, uh, largely that is divided between uh, modernism and, and postmodernism, and I would say really they're on a they're on a spectrum. Um, within a pre-modern worldview, 
we have we have an adherence to uh, the uh, the real genuine values of truth and goodness and beauty uh, and uh, modernist secular worldview has tried to leave God out of the picture whilst retaining a belief in truth and particularly knowing the world through science and the importance of the, the scientific worldview and so on but has, has tended to be happy fairly happy to sort of let go notionally at least of these ideas of transcendent values of of, of ethical values of goodness and evil and beauty and ugliness and say those are those are relative to the culture or the individual those are not things that we discover but there are things that we discover through science now you don't discover morals through science or beauty through science but you do disco you do discover the you know dna through science and that's truth the postmodernists have wanted to say there's a bit of an inconsistency here and and actually when you push god out of the picture the more seriously you take that uh, and the implications of that the harder it is to retain a belief in uh, human beings as truth seeking truth orientated creatures that can know reality through science um, uh, an easy way to think about this, I think, is, is to point out that the scientific revolution itself was birthed from Christian theological ideas. So Christianity gives this, this idea that there is a, a rational person who created the world, personal reality who created the world and created human beings in his image, and that we can expect uh, the way we think about things in our, in our minds, as it were, to, to, uh, to link with the way that the world out there works. We, they both come from the same good personal rational source, God. Mm -hmm. uh, we can ex expect them to fit together a, a bit. Uh, uh, Christianity uh, dignified manual labour uh, against a worldview that you know that was for slaves, but you know Christ incarnated uh, as a, as a workman, as a carpenter, uh, uh, dignifying uh, physical work in the world and and. Uh, the intellectual elite within Christianity became uh, open to the idea that it, it was a dignified thing to do, to actually go and do experiments, and look at the world and uh, do research, you know, in the nitty gritty of the world rather than just sitting in your armchair thinking about it like us philosophers do. Uh, and so all of those sort of ideas uh, dignified and motiva motivated the birth of the scientific uh, revolution, saying, you know, um, the way the world works must be rational uh, but also because it's made by god but also god's got free will there are a number of ways he could have done things so i can't just work it out from my armchair i have to actually go and look and find out which way did god do it so you know uh, aristotle most the ancient greeks he would have said well planets how do planets move planets must move in circles because cir circles are the perfect, perfect geometrical shape, shape and <laughs> therefore planets must move in circles because that's you know how i do it kind of kind yeah. of thing whereas the christians that's why, that's why things didn't make sense right so many of them yeah so whereas the christians have said well i suppose you know if god wanted to make them go in circles he could have but He's, he's got free will. If he wanted to make them go in ellipses, he could have done that as well. How, how do we know? Well, we better go and look. <laughs> you know, we need to, to do, do the experimental kind of method. So, George, moving the, the post-modern approach, what caused the, because I'm, I'm guessing, I mean, I, it's more than guessing, a dissatisfaction of the human being with this approach, the scientific-centered approach towards right. life discovery 
towards giving value to life. What caused this dissatisfaction that moved so much of the society towards a post modernistic approach? Yeah, in, in one sense, you could say it is a desire for consistency, actually, that they're, they're pointing out. Of course, when you get rid of God, it's really hard to retain these ideas of objective value, um, goodness, beauty, and so on. But they're saying, but it is also very hard to retain this idea of objective truth knowing and of science and, and so on. Um, nature cares about what works, not what's true per se. If nature is all we have to explain things. Um, so, um, there's a sort of certain consistency in, in, in saying, so we ought to be sceptical about our truth-knowing ability as well. But of course that is a bit like sawing off the branch that you're sitting on to, to go to that depth of scepticism. I think what the postmodernists, uh, having called out the modernists for being inconsistent in a sense in trying to retain truth and science whilst getting rid of value, would have been to say, so we need to return to a pre-modern worldview where we can retain truth and goodness and beauty because they all come uh, from God. They, they're all aspects of the character of God. Uh, but what they did was say, no, we need to push further into the slough of despond <laughs> in order to be, in inverted commas, consistent at one level. But actually that leads to a greater inconsistency because like, why should yeah. you care about being consistent? in a world that where there are no objective values or truth or things aren't really you know reliably knowable and so on so uh, postmodernism uh, had this frustration with this inconsistency in modernism uh, and also with as you say the narrowness of modernism with its tie up with with scientism in particular saying you know it's all about what we can scientifically know and they're saying there's more to being a human than things that you can stuff into this box labeled science uh, and and it's dehumanizing to try and and fit everything that we are into this box labeled science and i would agree with the postmodernists about they're right Absolutely. about that 100 um, but but nevertheless the postmodernists by jettisoning, jettisoning all the transcendental values uh, also end up uh, with a dehumanising philosophy. And I would say the, the, the only way of retaining uh, what uh, Francis Schaeffer used to call the mannishness of man, you know, that phrase from uh, Francis Schaeffer, uh, the, the whole fullness and holistic nature of, of human beings made in God's image, uh, is to uh, retain the, the worldview that gave birth to that vision of humanity, which is the, the Christian, Judeo-Christian worldview. It's fascinating because um, sometimes, so, so many times, we feel threatened and frustrated with the, the approaches we see today and uh, probably the proposition that most of us would, uh, would make as a solution to this crisis of morality and um, uh, of spirituality that leads mm. to a societal crisis, uh, no, no yeah, doubt yeah. about it, would be to turn, to go back to what you call the pre-modernistic approach yeah. to reintegrate mm. God mm. with goodness, beauty and truth and would feel like it's, it's completing the, the circle again going back to that approach mm -hmm. would you say that that is is there is there a way we can uh uh go back and and do that and uh, probably uh, in the future we can develop that 
concept. Yeah, I, well, I think this is the, the, the ancient traditional calling of, of the church to be good disciples of, of, of Christ, to, to live in the world, um, uh, ha having lives that are Christ-centered, that try to exhibit uh, uh, and uh, persuasively the truth and goodness and beauty of the gospel of a Christ-centered spirituality, uh, to live that out in society. Uh, and to um, try and do that in ways that persuade other people to themselves adopt a Christ-centered spirituality. Um, Christianity doesn't work through coercion or forcing people to do things uh, against their worldview and things. Uh, our calling is to to live as disciples of Christ and to, um, you know, 1 Peter 3.15, always be ready to give an answer to those who ask about the hope uh, that you have. So we, we try and live the best Christian lives that we can and uh, influence others for Christ. And that's all we're called to do, to, to be faithful to that calling. Um, we're not called to be successful. We leave that in the hands of God. We're called to be faithful disciples. Thank you, Professor Williams, for a uh, fascinating half an hour of conversation over difficult and sensitive issues. And uh, we're looking forward to have you again Thank you. in uh, in our um, uh behind our microphone.